0: I find traffic in Jonesboro rather frustrating. Do I hear an amen from anybody? It's um, I'm still trying to decide. I was always taught, and I'm very rigid with this, that a turn lane is a turn lane and not a merge lane. But in Jonesboro, a turn lane is anything you want it to be, anything you want it to be, which just is. Our, and, and, and you have so many lights. And do you know why you have so many, we have so many lights? It's not because it's dangerous. It's because the people here are careless. It's We're careless. Some of those things aren't necessary if you'll just pay attention. But we're not good at paying attention. Well, here's one of them. You're driving along. I want you to tell me what you would do. You're driving along at night now. Jonesboro is very unsafe in the daytime driving, but even worse at night when the sun goes down. You're driving and somebody's driving, they just didn't notice they don't have their headlights on. I'm noticing this becoming more of a more of a problem. For some people it's not, because you now have those new vehicles that the lights are always on. How many drive a vehicle that you have to actually yourself turn them on? Raise your hand. So some of you still do that? You pull that thing out? No, probably surely not any of that anymore. But you might turn that switch this way, right? And so I have one, I still have to turn them on, which means I also have to turn them off. And I, I'm pretty good at that. When I get into Melissa's now, she's got one that are automatic on, and I turn that switch just by habit, it actually turns the automatic lights off. So I have a problem. I'm either turning lights on or off, all with the same motion. It's really frustrating. That's why, one of the reasons why, she never lets me drive uh, her car, which is fine, I guess. So... You're driving in Jonesboro, and you notice somebody around you, either behind you or in front of you, beside you, does not have their lights on. How many of you completely ignore it and you just don't care? Matt, be honest. Matt McDonald's okay. Be honest. That's a future patient probably, so why I why disturb that? Okay, so, so some of you don't care. How many of you um, try to get their attention and somehow do some sign language and let them know that their lights are out? They're not on. Okay, how many flash your lights? Okay, somebody told me that. At the first, I think Randy Carlton told me that. I said, where I come from, that means a cop is coming. Is that not true for anybody? Is that, is that just multiple? Just figure out what this flash means. I mean, it could mean 10 different things, but you figure it out, right? It's, I'm trying to tell you your lights are off, because, you know, this really could be dangerous. I was talking to Brandy White just two days ago, and she says, down there in Mississippi, she says, I'm noticing, even on the interstate around Memphis and this south, lots of people driving without their headlights on. It's, it's nighttime. You need to have those It could kill somebody. I said, I, I noticed that too. What do, you, what do you do when you notice this? Well, a week with a bunch of high school students where I, we all agree, everybody who's there to help them with sermon preparation, we all agree we're going to take our sermons from the Sermon on the Mount. So here I am, Sermon on the Mount, And um, we get to the most well-known verse in the Bible. And you think, well, that's John 3, 16, but that's not in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not the most familiar verse anymore. There's another verse that's very versatile and useful for this generation that they know. And in fact, I wish people knew all of Scripture like they know this one verse. I don't know what verse I wish. If I could just have one verse that everybody actually, I think it'd be the golden rule maybe. But if there's one verse, if there's just one verse, I can get the whole world to respect. Well, there is one verse the whole world wants to respect. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. They know it. They don't hold it up at Cardinal ball games like John three sixteen, but they know it. It's judge not that you be not judged, and people know this. And what a wonderful verse that is for our culture right now. It's a great trade-off, isn't it? You don't judge me. And I won't judge you for anything. We simply let each other off the hook. We cover up for each other. Like that song we sing at church sometimes each can his brother's failings ignore. Is that what the song, each can his brother's failings hide, but it's the same thing, right? It's mutual disregard for our behavior. It's, it's liberating because I don't, you don't have to worry about me, and I don't have to look after you. Let's just live our lives. Mine, yo, right? And I'll mine, mine, right? That's how it sounds. And everybody takes it. Any criticism, any correction from anybody, pull out your community immunity idol. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and you drop the mic, and you walk away untouched. Now, you know what this means, right? Not only can I not judge you, but I don't have to. How wonderful is it? I just don't have to mess with it. Even if I see something I disagree or know is wrong, I, I, I don't have to do anything about it. I don't want to and I don't have to and I don't have to figure out the messiness of how do I approach you in such a way I don't have to practice judgment or, or discernment at all just with me just with me alone and it's freeing liberating and it's one of those things that is wonderful for our culture and it would make things easier for everybody. Can parents evoke the Matthew 7-1 thing? You ever go to Walmart and the parents are practicing Matthew 7-1 with their kids? I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to correct you. Correcting is a judgment. So I'm not going to correct you, son. You do whatever you want. And everybody in Walmart's wishing you'd do something. You could look up and say, hey, folks, Matthew 7-1. Right? We could do that. That would be nice. A lot of people do our culture is practicing this you know what about teachers the teachers get to practice that they have to practice this because they're given no ability to correct anybody anymore it's like kids know Matthew 7 1 is their right in public schools and and kid parents can't teachers can't do anything even principals can't do anything and so we got a Matthew 7 1 culture we are taught this from young what about elders do you know if we really practice Matthew 7 1 like this, you would only have deacons? Why would you need an elder? Do you know what the elder's job is in Titus? Teach sound doctrine and correct those who are not practicing it. Oh, but Matthew 7 1, there isn't anybody. You've got to let them off. The, what about police officers? Doesn't Matthew 7 1 handcuff anybody with handcuffs? Doesn't it? They're about to come at you, read your Miranda rights, right? And you say, I got my Matthew 7-1 rights, and it it totally overwhelms your Miranda rights. So, you know, they pull you over on the side of the road, talk about your speeding, you roll down your window, Matthew 7-1, and you drive on. That'd be nice, right? That's kind of how our culture practices this verse. But then it's kind of like a divine trump card. But then there's something that recently our culture has violated about Matthew 7-1. While it seems attractive in the form that I've just described it, there's become a move that goes beyond it. When someone uses the immunity they should have and speaks on something that someone else disagrees with and they find themselves offended by, suddenly... While you should have the immunity to say that, they're going to revoke that immunity. They're going to call upon your employer, or they're going to call upon uh, 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 some, somebody somewhere to, to silence you, to cancel you. Because you've said something that they don't like, that hurts them, that disagrees with them. And now all of a sudden, while they want to evoke it for themselves, they want to revoke it from you. I should have a right to shut you up. I should have a right to cancel you from our culture. I should have a right to totally veto everything. You say something on Facebook, somebody else doesn't like, and suddenly you get reprimanded and you get, well, canceled. What happened to Matthew 7-1 then? Culture has this love-hate relationship with this verse. I like it when I like it, and I don't like it when I don't. And that's a little bit exaggerated. It's a little bit exaggerated, but it is in our culture. You see it everywhere. But Matthew 7, 1 does say this. That's exactly what it says in the ESV, Judge not that you be not judged. And they love to quote it. People love to quote this all the time. But the particular section here has to do with your brother, someone you know that you're in relationship with that they know you You know each other. There's this connection that you have, and that person is doing or believing something that you know is not right. And you know also it spiritually hurts that brother, and you love that brother. This is not a pet peeve that simply annoys you or just kind of sends you off on a personality clash. This is something that's wrong. And when this is a case, there are some things you are not to do. I picture it like a road with two ditches, one on each side. And as you're traveling this road, there's two things you don't do. Don't run off on either side. On the right side, I kind of use this politically, right? On the right side of the ditch is what you don't do. You do not write them off. You do not pronounce a judgment of condemnation on them. You, you, you do not send them a letter of disfellowship from you and pronounce them as destitute before God. With finality, they're headed to hell, right? This is the wonderful news. Uh, This is good news, by the way, that you are not God's bouncer. Every day, you should begin the day getting on your knees and saying this, thank you, Lord, that I'm not you, and that you are you. And thank you, Lord, that all I have to do is be me. I don't have to be you. And I'm going to live like that. I'm going to try really hard to live like that. And one of the ways you're going to do this is you're not going to pronounce a final verdict of condemnation on somebody, no matter how wrong they appear to you, because that's not your place. That's not your judgment call to make. That's not your case to bring against them and indict them on. Since you're not God, you don't know the whole truth. You don't know all the facts. You don't know the reasons behind this. You don't have what it takes to make the kind of judgment that only God can make. You're not objective enough about this. Even if their actions are wrong, you are not the one to declare them guilty. You're too flawed. You're too broken yourself. Too limited with impaired judgment. But that's not the only ditch. And I want you to remember this as you're living your life and you're living your life in community with one another. You signed on for this community deal. It's part of your baptism, y'all. You signed on for this community deal. And one side is you can never pronounce judgment on somebody. That's not your place. But that will lead you to a second thing too, right? Because this teaching doesn't end with verse 1. And that's the primary problem here. The proper context of this teaching goes from verse number one to verse number five. Remember, Jesus did not preach the Sermon on the Mount this way. Now, seven, chapter seven, verse one. Now, chapter seven, verse two. Now, chapter seven, verse three. This was not in chapters with Jesus. This was not in verses. It was just one continuous word after another. And we, we, as human beings, put it in chapters and verses for our convenience. And sometimes we really mess this up. And in fact, you, you got an older version. You might have each verse in its own little area. The old King James used to be this way that I grew up on, was that verse 1 is here and then verse 2 is here, as if each one of them is its own teaching and story. And that's a totally wrong way to read this. And the newer versions, you'll probably have something over this passage that runs from verse, five. It may go to chapter, may go to verse six. We'll deal with that next time. But it certainly goes through verse five that this all belongs together. And so when you quote one verse of it and leave the rest of it out, you're getting only part of the story. You need to have a version that keeps it all together so that you'll know you'll know that this all belongs together. Chapter 7, verse 1 does not belong as an isolated unit. And when you do memory verses, be careful with this. We used to call gospel real biblical preaching, stringing together 255 verses in a row. And if the preacher can quote them all from here and there and yonder, that's a biblical sermon. And nearly every one of those was stripped from its context, and therefore it's not the right truth you're preaching. I know people who think you need to quote 100 verses, 200 verses. And if you do, and if any one of them are out of context, it is not a biblical sermon. You've just gone into falsehood. That's what 7 verse 1, without 2, 3, 4, and 5 with it is. And I can't stress this enough. There is so much trouble with verses out of context so that leads to the second thing that you can't do you can't refuse to talk to your brother about the speck if you use Matthew 7 1 by itself without 2 3 4 and 5 you're canceling out verse 5 by verse 1 and you're being wrong on both counts it's context 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 and here's the whole context here's what he says next screen Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. By the way, he's saying we're all under the same judgments. We've got the same standard judging us all, right? And with a measure that you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that's in your own? This is a very comical view. I've got a huge log sticking out of my eye, and all I'm worried about is that little bitty splinter in yours. That looks very goofy. How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when a two-by-four is too long for me to get close to you, sticking out of mine? It's really bizarre, right? This is kind of comedy stuff. But then he goes on to say, so here's how you do it, you hypocrite. He says, first... He completes verse 1 with verse 5. First, he's telling you how you can do it. So what I'm saying is the second thing you can't do is while you're driving along, you can't pronounce condemnation on a person for wrong. But secondly, on the other side of the road, the left side, you can't just ignore it and act like it ain't no big deal. That's your brother. You love your brother. You can't just go on like nothing's happening. If you see a speck, go talk to him. It's important. You love him. He's part of you. Don't use Matthew 7, 1 to silence Matthew 7, verse 5. You are part of God's mechanism for helping your brother, and when you go silent, you're not helping your brother. It's not a condemnation that you're making. It is a concern you're expressing. Jesus in this section of Scripture talks about discernment and how you can practice it. So that's what you don't do. Using this same thing, we're going to look at what you can do. He says first, oh, back up first. Yeah, we'll stay on that. Yeah, no, yeah right there. So here's the, here's the order. So you've noticed that your brother has something he's done amiss. You do need to go front, confront him, but first, which means... The first step, I don't know how to call, talk, talk about these red things without going on to the next screen. So leave it on here, and then we'll use the next screen as a review. First means you have to wait. My logical response and the times when I do this wrong, and I still, after all these years and experiences of burning myself with my own stupidity, I am still most prone to doing this wrong. And here's why. Someone actually did something wrong and the sooner the better and I while I'm angry and frustrated want to immediately go and confront the wrong and that's where the error is so yes you should go confront your brother but first there's there's an order of importance here first of all wait put yourself under a gag order Put yourself under this pause. I have to insert a pause. I cannot go while I'm angry. I cannot go immediately. And for those of you who say immediately and efficiently is the best way, that's not what Jesus says. First of all, he says, go take the log out of your own eyes. So the first thing you do is you wait. Secondly, you evaluate. You evaluate your own self under the judgment and the standard that we honor. The only way you will know that there is a log in your own eye is if you pause long enough to submit yourself to that same standard and realize you've got some blind spots. You have to recognize that. It takes time. So first of all, you wait. You evaluate your life and see where you have some flaws. And then you get rid of those. You pull it out of your eye. Now, what's that? That's the word repent. In other words, there's something in my eye that shouldn't be there under the same standard that I'm judging my brother by, so I'm going to pull that dude out by repenting, and then I'm going to go. I'm going to wait, evaluate, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to go because then I can see clearly to help my brother take it out of his eye. You do go. You don't Connim, you don't. Ignore, you do go, but only later after you've done some self evaluation. And here's what go ahead to the next screen, put all four of those in there if you would. One of the reasons why a lot of us don't go is I don't want to take the time to evaluate myself. I'll just bypass it all. I don't want to judge him, and so I won't even judge me. And I'll just—we'll both avo- We'll both just practice Matthew seven one and ignore Matthew seven five. But you must be willing to engage in these things before you go. Matthew seven verse one is true, but it's only true in the context that it's given. When it comes to the church. We really need to have maturity to welcome this kind of interaction with each other. When you become a believer, your sins are washed away. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, and you are added to the church, and the church becomes this group of people who love each other and want desperately to reach a lost world and what we know to do that is that we need the interaction involvement of each other in our lives and we need to welcome people to practice this on each other and I know that's rough number one I don't want to practice it I don't want to figure out how to approach you but number two I don't want it practiced on me and yet that's an immature response that's a response of saying let me live with my blind spots and I don't want to live with my blind spots I want God to use all the mechanism available to, to to me to help improve me and sharpen me make me better and one of those mechanisms is you but when you use jesus in matthew 7 5 to cancel jesus in 7 1 a very powerful feature of our christian lives is being disengaged so when we decide we are going to get a new a different vehicle right Saturn's about to die, so we're going to go. We're looking at the Murano. One of the things I liked about it is the headlights automatically come on. So I won't forget this, but there's another feature that now I could no longer live without, right? You're driving along the highway. What the Murano people know, that's the Nissan people. Nissan people know is that there's a blind spot my passenger side, back in the back. Causes a lot of accidents. So here's what they did. There's a light, front passenger seat, the bar that comes and separates it from the windshield. And that light will come on anytime there's a vehicle that is on that blind side of the vehicle. Driving along, and I see that light on. I'm not going to dare get in that other lane because that light's telling me there's somebody there. I don't see them. I don't see them. I, I might be able to back and see them but i may not be able to determine i may miss them so i don't see them but that light's on so i know i know don't get over there because you could hurt somebody or yourself if you do this and what i'm arguing is matthew chapter 7 verse 1 through 5 is jesus trying to put this feature into your life to speak some light and some vision into your blind spots He's trying to help you to become more like Christ. And he he uses the Holy Spirit to do that. He uses Scripture to do that. He uses the church to do that. And you are to help me with my blind spot. But only if you function that way. I don't want to use Matthew 7-1 to disengage that entire feature so that Matthew 7-5 can't work for my benefit. And really you don't either. Give people permission to be the light that comes on to show you some blind spots. But those of you who will operate that way, please honor the system Jesus said. If you're going to go, wait, evaluate your life, repent, then go. And by practicing all that, you have prepared yourself and nurtured and cultivated the proper attitude to have for you and the proper attitude for them so that they'll receive it. I want us to be a church that has this feature. Too many churches have disconnected this. Too many believers have disconnected this. And because of that, they crash and burn. And they get into all sorts of accidents. And not only do they hurt themselves, but they hurt the people they run into. And we can avoid all that, all that, if we'll practice not Matthew 7, 1, but we'll practice Matthew 7, 1 through 5. So let me just practice that a little bit right now. I'm going to make a judgment call, a discerning call in your life. If you are a person who's never submitted to the Lordship of Christ, the Scriptures would say that you're lost Scriptures would say that you are without God. And that breaks my heart. And if I were in that spot, I'd want somebody to say, Hey, if you don't turn directions, you're going to meet God one of these days and He's going to pronounce this judgment against you. And I don't want that for you at all. I don't want you to face that at all. And so I can tell you, if you confess the name of Jesus with your lips in front of this group, And you're immersed in the waters of baptism. Your sins are washed away and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And this family becomes your family. And that will lead you to one day meeting Jesus and meeting God. And you'll know who they are and they'll know who you are. And I just want to tell you that in the proper spirit. And then you join this community and here's what we agree to do. And I know in our culture, I I, I won't apologize for this. In our culture, this sounds judgmental. We're not going to be a Matthew 7-1 church. We're going to be a Matthew 7-1-5 church. And we're going to practice this with you. And if you have blind spots, we're going to come along beside you and point out lovingly these things. Just as we point them out to ourselves as we prepare for that discussion. We are not going to let you get in crashes when we can help you prevent them. That's the kind of community you're entering. If you're subject to that invitation or if someone has pointed out a flaw and you need the prayers of this church, that's possible too. And this morning, whatever is your need, spiritually be right with God and be like Christ. Make it known as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.